Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello and welcome back to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. I am Megan. I am Lauren. And together we are Megan and Lauren. <laughs> it's really, really good stuff we got going on here. We are here. We are present. Ugh. Separate homes at undisclosed locations. We'll never tell you. We will not. That's I've been listening to a lot of No Such Thing as a Fish, which is a great podcast if you want something lighter. They just talk about facts, and they're always like, <laughs> usually they say where they're recording when they're doing like their actual recording, and now mm-hmm. they're like, we're coming to you from three separate undisclosed locations. <laughs> Brilliant. Because they're all at home. Like, perfect. Love Love that. It's a wonderful thing. So, hey, how you guys doing? Hey, hi, 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 hi. Hey. So, uh, let's see. Lauren, do you have any various updates? Mm, as it pertains to the podcast, <laughs> uh, I want to I mean, say- I'd take a life update if you got one, but... There's nothing positive. Um, <laughs> we're just gonna plow forward. Um, so I'm trying to think for the podcast. Um, we really appreciate you guys, like all of our new listeners. Um, we've had people writing in and just giving us really awesome feedback. Um, so we always, always, always appreciate that. Um, and we just appreciate all the downloads we've been getting. Please feel free to leave, um, reviews we love reading those oh and we have a new patron we do uh let me pull up their name we have a new patron yeah let me find them okay oh that's right okay so we have christina from texas hey christina so she is our new patron um and she is wonderful and we really appreciated your message we love the y'alls. We do. My I, Midwestern I heart. Y'all. Sayer. Y'all. I feel like it's actually very inclusive, y'all. so I'm about it. It is. I spent enough time. Um, fun fact about Megan, I guess I partially grew up in North Carolina because my dad lived in North Carolina. So I feel like I've spent just enough time in the South to get away with saying y'all. There you go. Uh, so I do it. It's good, inclusive language. I like it. Um, yeah. So thank you, thank you for becoming a patron. Also, thank you, Christina. And we've gotten so many messages lately. We love hearing from you guys. We do. Um, and also just a Facebook page shout out to Sarah Maloney. Sarah! For commenting on everything. Sarah comments on everything, and also, I believe, I was trying to find it to confirm that it was indeed Sarah, but I appreciate you, Sarah, for being the one person that actually answers the questions when we're like, hey, do you want us to record this child abuse presentation? And Sarah's like, yes, I do. That sounds great. And it's like, perfect. Sarah has spoken for all of you. Uh, so if you're will. looking to elect a fan club leader, perhaps she should be in the running. She's a uh, she's she's, she's great. On it. She's, she's always on our Facebook page. She always seems like very excited about like new episodes coming out, and I'm just like, oh, I just I love that energy. 
I do too. It's really nice, positive energy and reminds us that people actually listen to this. So Sarah, thank you. We <laughs> love going with you to go walk your dogs. Yes, we appreciate it. We also love your dogs. Please pet them for us. Tell them they are the that goodest puppies all. ever. Yeah, that goes to all of our listeners. Please pet your animals for us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. So, so we're we're getting into something a little juicy today. We are talking about schizophrenia. We are talking about schizophrenia, and I think this one is interesting because this is like, I don't know how you feel about it, but like, schizophrenia, not uh, particularly a spooky topic, nope. per se. Uh, but who makes it a say... spooky topic? Let's let's answer that question. The media. The media. <laughs> exactly. The media. We act like it's super spooky, and it's really not, nope. so we're here much like we were trying to break down some of the stigma for stalking. I guess we're just on a stigma breaking kick right now. So we're just going to talk through schizophrenia, what it actually is, yep. and uh, what some people with schizophrenia are doing. Absolutely. Because, again, we hate the stigma surrounding schizophrenia. It's so misunderstood. Um, so hopefully by kind of breaking it down today, you guys can understand it better and just understand, mm -hmm. like, there are real-life people in the world with schizophrenia that are functioning, kind people who would never hurt anybody who, you know, are living their lives. And that's, that's the goal for today. Yeah, and also, we're going to talk about this more later, but uh, just going to start with a big misconception right off the top. Schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder are entirely different things. People with schizophrenia do not have multiple personalities. Thank you, Megan. I, it's sad, but we do need to clarify that. <laughs> we did. I actually, on my uh, personal Facebook page, just asked people what the first thing they thought of when they hear schizophrenia is. And the first comment immediately from Gretchen, thank you, Gretchen, If you, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but if you do, thanks, Gretchen, was immediately like, people with multiple personalities, I know that it's not correct, but that media message is strong. And it was like, yes, oh, it is, wow. thank you. So she was instantly like, I know it's not, but that's kind of the first thing you think of, because in a lot of media, either schizophrenia is like funny, scary, or multiple personalities. Yep. So we're here to tell you none of those are true. <laughs> none of those are true. There, and also multiple personality disorder is actually called disassociative identity disorder. And I think we should do an episode on that at some point. I'd love to. That one is another one that's very misunderstood um, and very rare, actually. Super rare. And controversial, which makes it a good topic for a podcast. It's juicy. So, Lauren, why don't you tell us a bit about what schizophrenia actually is? I would love to. So, um, according to NAMI, which is a great resource if you ever need resources on mental illness, um, schizophrenia is a serious mental illness that interferes with a person's ability to think clearly, manage emotions, make decisions, and relate to others. It is a complex, long-term medical illness. The exact prevalence of schizophrenia is difficult to measure, though. Um, estimate, estimates range 0.25% to 0.64% of U.S. adults, okay? 
Um, schizophrenia is a psychiatric disorder um, where previously normal, quote-unquote, cognitive abilities and behaviors become disturbed. The most common age of onset is after reaching adulthood, so after 18, which most people don't know. Mm-hmm. Typically, the late teens to mid-30s, it is manifested either by so-called positive symptoms, so delusions, hallucinations, unusual or disorganized behavior, or by negative symptoms, including a marked lack of activity, loss of interest, and unresponsiveness. Um, and the key with those is positive does not mean, like, good. It just means something is added, and negative meaning it's taking away something. Yep, that positive and negative brings me back to Psych 101 and getting very confused on that test. Getting it wrong. We're just here. This is really just Psych 101, guys. That's what this entire podcast is. Thank you for coming to our class. This is... You all get A's. You get an A. There are no quizzes. Congrats. (laughs) You're great. Um, So... I wanted to share with you guys the DSM-5 criteria as well. Um, So the DSM is what we use to diagnose disorders um, when we are working with clients. So the DSM-5 criteria for schizophrenia are as follows. So the presence of two or more of the following, each present Mm -hmm. for a significant portion of time during a one month or less if successfully treated, with at least one of them being one, two, or three. And one is delusions, two is hallucinations, three is disorganized speech, four is grossly disorganized or catatonic behavior, and five is negative symptoms. So for a significant portion of the time since the onset of disturbance, level of functioning in one or more major areas, for example, work, interpersonal relationships, self-care, is markedly below the level achieved before onset. When the onset is in childhood or adolescence, the expected level of interpersonal, academic, or occupational functioning is not achieved. Continuous signs of the disturbance persist for a period of at least six months, which must include at least one month of symptoms or less if successfully treated. Prodromal I don't know what that means. Symptoms often precede the active phase, and residual symptoms may follow it, characterized by mild or sub-threshold forms of hallucinations or delusions. Mm -hmm. Don't you just love the DSM? What a, I mean, so well-written. It's a a bit wordy, right? It's a a juicy, (laughs) juicy writing. Yes. Um, And so... There's various course specifiers um, where it looks at, like, the first episode, multiple episodes, continuous or unspecified, um, and then they also rate the severity of the disorder um, by evaluating the symptoms of psychosis and rating their severity on a five-point scale, ranging from zero, not present, to four, present and severe. Um, And so, obviously, another important distinction with schizophrenia is that you... And sometimes, you know, this is comorbid with, like, other disorders, um, but if it's explained by, like, drug use, for example, then it wouldn't be considered schizophrenia, um, or it might be related to bipolar disorder, um, you know, things like that. So just keeping that in mind that we try to, like, um, tease out 
other possible reasons for the psychosis. Mm-hmm. Psychosis is not schizophrenia exclusive. Um, even a uh, strange form of psychosis that most people don't know about, but there is actually a pretty high rate of um, psychosis in elderly people with urinary tract infections. We used to see it at the hospital all the time, so if your grandma suddenly starts a uh, hallucinating, might want to take her to the doctor, see if she has a UTI if she's never hallucinated before, because it is surprisingly common, because a wide variety of things can cause psychosis. Yep. It's not always schizophrenia. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. So, I think this is me still, right? Yeah. Okay, so... It's all you. I made mine purple. Okay, cool. Alright, so... Continuing the the symptoms and impacts of schizophrenia. So, schizophrenia involves a range of symptoms, a range of problems with thinking, which is cognition, behavior, and emotions. Signs and symptoms may vary, but usually involve delusions, hallucinations, or disorganized speech, and we're going to talk about each of those. Um, So, delusions. So, these are false beliefs that are not based in reality. For example, you think that you're being harmed or harassed. Certain gestures or comments are directed at you. You have exceptional ability or fame. Another person is in love with you. Or a major catastrophe is about to occur. Delusions occur in most people with schizophrenia. Okay, so that's the first one. Hmm. Hallucinations. These usually involve seeing or hearing things that don't exist. Yet for the person with schizophrenia, they have the full force and impact of a normal experience. Hallucinations can be in any of the senses, but hearing voices is the most common hallucination. Um, and I will say too, I've, I've definitely interacted with folks where um, they have had like hallucinations with their taste before um, and mm-hmm. eating certain foods and feeling like they're eating or they're tasting blood. Like it's, it's just very interesting. Yeah, even uh, olfactory, so smells where people with schizophrenia might smell something rotting when there's nothing there, or uh, different smells as well, which sounds very distressing. Absolutely. Especially if you smell something and you think, like, something's burning, or, you know, Mm -hmm. that could be really overwhelming. Yeah, and also very hard to tell if there's, like, a situation that needs your immediate attention or not. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Then there's disorganized thinking and speech. So disorganized thinking is inferred from disorganized speech. Effective communication can be impaired and answers to questions may be partially or completely unrelated. Rarely speech may include putting together meaningless words that can't be understood, sometimes known as word salad. Um, Have you ever seen this before, Megan? I have not. Um, I actually have never worked with anyone experiencing psychosis. So this is uh, new. This is kind of outside of my area, but I find it interesting. So you have way more experience in this field than I do in this specific disorder. So what's interesting about it. So the example that I'll give is I knew a person where... um, they definitely had, like, the disorganized, like, speech when it came to, like, writing. Um, so they would often, like, write stories, basically, or, like, manuscripts. And what was interesting is, like, it was all definitely words. But, like, when you read the sentence, it didn't mean anything. It was just, like, 
trying to think of an example. It'd be like, scientifically arithmetic in the field will conclusively give us our answer. Where it's like, okay, like, those are all words and, like, bigger words, but that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) So it it was just, like, a lot of stuff like that where it's like, hmm, I don't no that's that's not quite right um right and now that i'm actually thinking about it i've never like worked a ton we definitely had uh when i worked on the crisis line we would have people who definitely were experiencing delusions well because you were in mchenry county right yes yeah yeah and and so you'd have some people call um And it'd be interesting because obviously when you're a crisis line worker, it's very hard to assess if somebody is, sometimes it was very clearly a delusion and someone was hallucinating. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was genuinely hard to tell where it's like my neighbors hate me and they're yelling at me. And it's like, well, maybe they they are. That's something that could happen. So it would be very hard to piece out not having an ongoing relationship with people like is this like a psychosis situation or what's actually happening exactly and that's that's the thing that like i think is so important for us to understand is that for them it feels real it feels like the neighbors are out to get them are fighting you know like and so they're responding to it in a way that we would respond to that situation because there there is no differentiation for them or they're just mm-hmm. they haven't figured out how to differentiate it just yet yeah um so yeah so that's uh the disorganized thinking and speech okay and then there's extremely disorganized or abnormal motor behavior so this may show in a number of ways from childlike silliness to unpredictable agitation behavior isn't focused on a goal so it's hard to do tasks behavior can include resistance to instructions inappropriate or bizarre posture a complete lack of response or useless and excessive movement um i so honestly i've never seen the bizarre posture that they're describing Hmm. yeah you know like nothing about that like sticks out to me um, but with, like, the um, the behavior being childlike, I've absolutely seen that. Where, like, like, um, th- like I've seen a person, like, kind of, like, switch to kind of, like, like a baby voice. And, like, mm-hmm. you just kind of engage in, like, more silly behavior. Um, which obviously isn't harming anybody. But it definitely, like, right. sticks out when you're, like, doing a task mm-hmm. together or something. Right, and we definitely talked about that a bit in our Slenderman episode, yes. talking about Morgan Geyser and how hard, because that is a symptom, but it's so strange um, in early onset schizophrenia, yeah. which, like we said, exceedingly rare, and her act of violence, exceedingly rare yep. that everything lined up in the way that it did for that to happen. But childlike behavior is appropriate for children right childlike behavior is also appropriate for adults under certain situations so i think that's something that another 
we tend to think that like if somebody had psychosis we would immediately be able to tell and sometimes you can and sometimes you can't like sometimes it's gotten to a point where it's very obvious like we're having a full conversation with somebody who's not actually in the room that one's pretty obvious but other than that like if it's just like weird posture and childlike behavior you might not be able to pick up on it. You right. Just be like, oh, but like okay. that's just their personality and, you know, they're being funny or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, okay, and so then there's negative symptoms. So this refers to reduced lack of ability to function normally. For example, the person may neglect personal hygiene or appear to lack emotion, doesn't make eye contact, doesn't change facial expressions, or speaks in monotone. Also, the person may lose interest in everyday activities, socially withdraw, or lack the ability to experience pleasure. Um, I would say in my experience working with the schizophrenic population, um, this was a big one that I helped with a lot in terms of helping people, like, okay, remember, like, um, you know, we're going to bathe today, and remember... Um, you use shampoo before conditioner and just kind of walking them through those things Um, because and also like with like these types of symptomology somebody with depression can exhibit these sorts of things too Mm -hmm. so again it's like one of those things where it's like you think like oh it's gonna stick out and it's gonna be so obvious but like this isn't super obvious even people that are very healthy like may have a day that they don't shower you know Right? Or, I mean, people who have had, like, your example of, like, the shampoo before conditioners, that could also be an issue with somebody who has a history of concussions. Exactly. And has some level of, like, memory loss. I know people with a variety of chronic health conditions do experience brain fog and memory stuff, and I experience brain fog, and man, have I done some weird stuff that, like, definitely could look like that inability to take care of myself, where, like, I'll, like, think I brushed my teeth, but I didn't, or Mm -hmm. can't remember if I took medication, and all of those things, like, they're not as obvious, but also a lot of people with schizophrenia aren't just, like, staring in the corner talking to people who aren't there, like, that's not often what happens so it, it can be hard to tell and the symptoms overlap with so many other things right like even like um that doesn't change facial expressions or speaks in monotone like if you're depressed or if you're someone like with um social anxiety you may not want to make eye contact with people um so like a lot of this stuff overlaps and it's just important to realize that this is also why, with everything overlapping, why we strongly discourage people from self-diagnosis. Yes. Because it's much more complicated than what, than it looks sometimes. There's a lot happening. And even things like schizophrenia, like, usually you have to do a whole battery of psych- psychological testing before you'll actually get that diagnosis. Yep. So, it's a process. It's a process. Um, also, just a fact, in men, schizophrenia symptoms typically start in their mid-20s, and women symptoms typically start in their late 20s, um, and it's uncommon for children to be diagnosed with schizophrenia and rare for those older than 45. And we already mm-hmm. talked about the kid piece, but I just wanted to yeah, throw that out there. Um, 
So also, schizophrenia symptoms in teenagers are similar to those in adults, but the condition may be more difficult to recognize, as we have mentioned. This may be in part because some of the early symptoms of schizophrenia in teenagers are common for typical development during teen years. <laughs> right? So, yep. withdrawal from friends and family. I yep. absolutely did that. <laughs> you know? That actually, well, and actually in your teen years, your most important social bonds tend to move from family to friends yep. for a bit. So, uh, and you tend to change friends frequently because of whoever is mad at whoever teen dynamics are complex and so yeah withdrawing normal Normal. a drop in school performance normal that happens especially if you're in like a transitional year like going from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school even drop in performance of school that could indicate uh my favorite mental illness because we literally all have it right now which is adjustment disorder where you're stressed out and you're having a response to it right kids get stressed out and their grades drop it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot other than they're adjusting to something and due to the pandemic most likely everybody is in the midst of an adjustment disorder yes yes so parents teachers let's all keep that in mind Mm -hmm. (sighs) trouble sleeping again (laughs) uh irritability or depressed mood what teenager isn't irritable or depressed at some point i don't know at times yeah okay lack of motivation again yes yep also recreational substance use such as marijuana methamphetamines or lsd can sometimes cause similar signs and symptoms yes it can yeah. Um, compared with schizophrenia symptoms in adults, teens may be less likely to have delusions, making it harder to identify, and more likely to have visual hallucinations. Which, I mean, visual hallucinations are pretty hard to pick up unless somebody is telling you what they're seeing. Exactly. And, you know, like I pointed out with Morgan Geyser, I mean, if you may not know that you're hallucinating, that you're seeing something that's not there, unless you're talking to other people. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, what are you... It's not there. Like, unless you have that, you may or may not actually know, because visual hallucinations are not always things that wouldn't necessarily fit in the situation. Like, they're not always things that are that strange. So, a lot of people may not know, especially when they first start hallucinating that they are. Exactly. Well, especially, like, if part of your hallucinations, like, maybe it's a person, and you just, in your mind, it feels like a family member or a friend who's just been there for a very long time. Um, it'd be very hard to separate that. Mm-hmm. So, I think a lot of times people want to know what's happening in the brain um, when people are people are diagnosed with schizophrenia so although the precise cause of schizophrenia remains unknown so we still have a ton of research to do on this an enormous amount of research has come up with a number of possibilities so many early theories focused on behavioral or stress-induced events but more recently the consensus holds that underlying biochemical abnormalities are more likely the cause so This leads to great support to the idea that genetic predisposition may account for 
50% of the risk of developing schizophrenia, which we know. We know that there is that mm-hmm. strong genetic link. Um, it's very important to keep in mind. 50% is a big one. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Huge. These biochemical hypotheses um, center around the dysfunction of neurotransmitter systems in the brain, which provide for cognition provide for normal um, cognition and attention. The main theories include a dopamine hypothesis, the NMDA receptor hypothesis, and the single carbon hypothesis and membrane hypothesis. I'm not going to go into the different hypotheses, but I just want you to know that that's where the current research is. Yep. Um, a researcher named Aubrey Mo explained, there are some structural changes that can be observed in people with schizophrenia. These are things like enlarged ventricles in the brain, which are small spaces in the brain that hold cerebral spinal fluid. It sounds kind of strange that we're talking about having holes in the brain, Mo says, but they're a good thing. We all have them. They help to create a little bit of cushion if there's an injury. Gotta love your brain holes. Love these they brain holes. You. Yeah, they, they help you. They do. But um, too much of a good thing might be a problem. So, in people with schizophrenia, these ventricles are enlarged, so those spaces are bigger, and that indicates that there's some sort of atrophy, meaning that some of the brain tissue that is expected to be there has been lost, compressed, or shrunk. That's been established in people with long-term schizophrenia, so people who've been ill for a while, according to Aubrey. So, in patients who have been newly diagnosed, Researchers say that some changes may be observed in the white matter and gray matter, where both parts of the brain seem to have some sort of atrophy or seem to not be functioning. Deterioration in the prefrontal cortex of the brain affects verbal memory, attention, reasoning, aggression, and meaningful speech, helping explain why schizophrenics sometimes babble incoherently. Okay. Overactivity in the frontal and right temporal lobes was associated with auditory hallucinations. And so, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Um, yeah. Loss of volume in the temporal lobe also affects the limbic system. So located deep in the brain and containing the hypothalamus, amygdala, and hippocampus. These are responsible for emotions and memory and abnormalities are associated with delusions, hallucinations, and disordered thinking. There's also evidence that parts of the brain are not communicating, um, and this is found in the corpus callosum, which connects the two halves of the brain. So Hmm. in sum, when we think about all of that, you can see that there is a bunch of different areas that are really struggling in the brain. Um, And so it makes it confusing when people are trying to research it because it's so different for each person. And also, it's hard to look at, like, specific areas of the brain, because it might be multiple areas of the brain that are working hard and struggling. Right, and I I think one of the things that all of this indicates is that we have some, like, really interesting perceptions about schizophrenia and, you know, what it is, but ultimately it seems like it's a brain disorder, just like, you know... Parkinson's is a brain disorder. MS is a brain disorder. Schizophrenia, really research-based, is starting to seem like it's more that. 
Like, it's a neurological condition that people have. Yep. And it shouldn't have any more stigma than... I mean, nobody's going around, like, making fun of people with... Par- I mean, I guess some people are, but, like, we some shouldn't Some terrible be. Like, people are. Some bad, terrible people. Sometimes I say stuff like that, and then I remember how shitty people are, and it's like, oh, oh no, I'm confident people are doing that, yeah. but they shouldn't, right? It's like, they have a neurological condition that oftentimes needs medication to improve their functioning and may need... Um, more support in housing they may depending on symptom severity and everything may need a supportive living environment but they're a person with a neurological condition exactly and i I like that comparison that you made megan of like like parkinson's like you wouldn't be like i mean again some people might but like (laughs) some people would you wouldn't be like oh my gosh like stay away from that person like they're so scary they have parkinson's like nobody does that so it's very bizarre that people do that with schizophrenia Mm-hmm. right and ultimately like most people with schizophrenia don't need to be hospitalized for the rest of their lives no. it's we're growing in the mental health field. We've done a lot of terrible stuff to people with schizophrenia, locked them in atrocious hospitals. We're not doing that anymore. Nope. Hopefully. I can't guarantee it's not happening anywhere. But, like, right, we're working and we're growing. But there's also a lot of um, just negative historical in the fields things that have happened to people with schizophrenia that I think have contributed to this whole, like, oh, they need to be institutionalized. I can't be like... A lot of people with schizophrenia take their medication, do their jobs, take care of their families just like the rest of us yep. do. And it's just, you know, a lot of us need medication to get through something. Exactly. Exactly. So, <clears throat> a couple things. Um, and, you know, this episode is going to be structured differently because usually we share some research and then share some uh, lighthearted, spooky stories about murder and terrible stuff as is our favorites, but we don't want to contribute to the uh, perception that people with schizophrenia are murderers, so we're, we're going we're gonna to do things a bit differently today, so I'm going to talk about some more research, and then we're going to talk about some schizophrenia success, some people who are just doing good. Exactly, because, like, that's, that's the thing, is, like, although we talk about things that are genuinely, like, scary um, and spooky... We also want to raise awareness that there are some things that you don't need to be scared of that we need to have more compassion for. Mm-hmm. And largely, you do not need to be scared of people with schizophrenia. Nope. No. Um, so, there's some interesting research into the cultural impact of schizophrenia, Um, Which does make it unique from other neurological disorders because a lot of them symptoms kind of have a set presentation or something. Schizophrenia is a bit different, but there's some research that's come out about the content of delusions and hallucinations that differs country to country, which is really interesting. Um, There is a researcher, uh, Stanford professor Tanya Lerman who did a study, uh, 60 adults with schizophrenia from the U.S., Ghana, and India. Um, 
And they found that Westerners, so Americans, tend to experience more depressive symptoms with schizophrenia than people in the other countries. They're also more prone to thought insertions and thought removals. Interesting. Um, which is a delusion that either somebody is putting thoughts in your head or taking thoughts out of your head. Hmm. Um, and then many participants mentioned that they heard good and bad voices. Americans reported only having bad experiences with their auditory hallucinations. So for some reason, culturally, and this is, again, this is a small study, mm -hmm. so doesn't necessarily apply, but um, Americans are more likely to hear the kind of, like, spookier... Um, type hallucinations like things that are very negative um, Ghanans and Indians often heard voices that they described as playful or entertaining hmm. um, but Americans had violent and threatening experience one American participant said their voices were like torturing people taking their eye out with a fork or cutting someone's head off and drinking their blood really nasty stuff oh so some people genuinely do have really disturbing hallucinations, which seems to be more common amongst American people with schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I wonder Ghanans what that's about. Indians. Well, I have some theories. Ooh, tell me. Some theories that the researchers have that I did not oh, come okay. up with myself. Um, so we're getting there. So they speculated that the difference was due to distinct social values. Mm -hmm. Americans are very independent and individualistic. To a fault, I'd like to point out. That's my personal opinion. Okay. We need other people and we need to stop pretending that we don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> end of tirade. Um, but so they speculate that due to the independence and individuality hearing voices is more like an invasion mm. to them and more violent um, but other cultures value collectivism more and the Ghanan and Indian participants often heard relatives and friends speaking to them and Americans tend to hear strangers Interesting. Um, another study which had 324 patients in Japan, Austria and Germany found that Austrian and German uh, people with schizophrenia experienced more delusions centered around poisoning, illness, death, and religious topics of guilt and sin. Mm. And then Japanese people were more likely to have delusions related to persecution by others, like being slandered by coworkers. Very interesting. So there are some kind of differences which make sense, like within a cultural setting of cultural values. So they were saying that because. Austria and Germany have a much stronger Christian influence than Japan. Um, people who are Christians or are exposed to a lot of that might be more likely when they do have delusions to have them about the concept of sin and guilt and the things that they've done maybe or worrying that about what they're doing um, <coughs> versus if it's not. And Japanese culture, I'm by no means an expert. But what I do know is, like, work is important, so being slandered by your co-workers would be a really negative thing if your co-workers were speaking ill of right, you. Right, bring dishonor. Um, so it, yeah, and so it is really interesting to see, um, really with this, and then the study, um, this is all by BigThink.com, Schizophrenia by Culture. Um, is the article I got this from. But in another study, another study found that Austrians had more religious delusions than people from Pakistan. Hmm. 
delusions of persecution were just as common among the two groups, but Pakistanis tended to believe their families were persecuting them. And then were the source of persecution more than the Austrians, which they're suggesting could be due to the stronger family ties in Pakistan. It would be worse for your family to be persecuting you than people outside of your family. Interesting. And so it does seem like even though the symptom type is the same, the symptom presentation may be culturally dependent. And I personally would speculate that Americans do have a very strong negative view of schizophrenia. And I would wonder if that would... Plays into it. Yeah, Yeah. like if that and their basically misinterpretations of what schizophrenia is could be involved in what's actually happening. Word. Um, Because I think a lot of it, 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 it is interesting. Yeah. Because there are such strong cultural... Tim's actually reading a whole book on this, which is fascinating. <laughs> so he's been, like, telling me fun facts about schizophrenia lately. Where he's like, well, actually, Americans have the worst voices for some reason. Like, our voices tend to be pretty negative. And in other places, like, I'd imagine schizophrenia might be easier to cope with if your voices are playful and funny. And it's interesting, right? Because, like, I think about, like, certain cultures, um, for example, like, like, Native American culture, or, um, just, like, other cultures that may be, like, more spiritual, and think about being, like, connected to, like, God speaking to them, and things like that, and how, like, in certain cultures mm-hmm. that would be, like, more praised, and more people would, like, look to them for, like, advice and guidance, as, a por- as opposed to American culture, where immediately it's kind of like, oh, you're hearing stuff? Like, okay. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is very interesting and then you get into the cultural moral of what is the difference between a religious delusion and a religious experience yeah which i'm not even gonna touch that because i'm sure we could do a bunch of research and talk about that for hours um because it is such a fascinating topic and again it's hard to piece out sometimes because there are definitely people who other people have thought that they were paranoid and having a delusion that actually were a hundred percent accurate people were following them so there's always this piece of like like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because imagine if you start telling a bunch of people that somebody's following you and you do all of this some people might believe you some people might think that you're delusional and that you're wrong or reading too much into Mm -hmm. things but you may or may not be true um and that get it can get really tricky specifically with delusions. Yeah. Ooh, cuz it's like you could have a delusion that your coworkers are against you and your coworkers might literally hate you. Yeah. Like it may or may like so kind of it's like it's it's hard to pick out delusions unless they're like, oh, this celebrity I've never met is in love with right. me. That one you can tell pretty easily. Yep. But if it's like that person in class who I've never spoken to is, like, into me. They might might be. be. People have crushes on people they don't talk to. Like, it does happen. Mm -hmm. So there is kind of that question mark, which I think is so hard with delusions. But it is interesting how it culturally presents. I think so, too. Fascinating. I, I, you know I love me some cultural influence and everything. Mm, Yes. 
Um, so now, of course, one of the biggest <coughs> stereotypes about people with schizophrenia is that they are violent. Oh, we hate it. So, we hate it, but we're going to talk about uh, schizophrenia and violence. Throw some stats at you, because here's what I'm going to say. Do people with schizophrenia have the capacity for violence? Yes, absolutely, because they are people and all people have the capacity of violence. Right? I think sometimes we get so like, are they more violent than other people? Let's talk about that. But everybody has the capacity for violence yep. and people who have schizophrenia and act out in violence may or may not be acting out due to the schizophrenia. Correct. There's a lot of factors. Right? If you're schizophrenic and you get in a bar fight, that doesn't actually mean it had anything to do with the right. fact that you have schizophrenia. Um, Correlation so does was... not equal causation. Everybody. Absolutely. Um, so there's a national survey found that 60% of Americans think that people with schizophrenia are likely to act tor violently towards someone else. 60%, y'all. <sighs> Guys. What are you... D what? Come on. Uh, 32% thought that people with major depression were likely to do so, which that's interesting. I yeah. think depressed people are much more likely to hurt themselves than other people. Yeah, and with schizophrenia. Um, which, yeah, much more likely to hurt yourself than other people. Um, so, really looking at um, some problems in studies that have been done, because I like to point out the issues in research. It's always important when you are researching something to actually look at how the study was done mm -hmm. because it might be flawed. Mm -hmm. um, an ongoing issue in scientific literature is that they've used different rates to assess the violence, um. Um, both in people with mental illness and in control groups. A lot of self-reporting uh -oh. or recollection on whether they have acted violently towards others. Um, the studies may underestimate rates of violence for several reasons, right? People, if you're like, have you ever stabbed someone and you've stabbed someone and didn't get caught for it, you're gonna be like, no, I have never once stabbed a person. Like, True. people lie yep. in self-reports. Um, people may forget what they did. They might be embarrassed or unwilling to admit to violent behavior. Um, other studies have compared data from the criminal justice system, such as arrest rates among people with mental illness. Um, but by definition... It's going to misrepresent rates of violence in people with mental illness because you're only looking at the population of people who have been arrested for something. Right. So that skews the data. Um, and they're finding some studies have not controlled for variables beyond substance abuse that contribute to violent behavior, such as poverty, family history, stress, all of these other things, yep. you know. So it's hard to pinpoint. Um, the MacArthur Violence Risk Study found that 31% of people who had both a substance abuse disorder and a psychiatric disorder, a dual diagnosis, committed at least one act of violence in a year compared to 18% of people with a psychiatric disorder alone. But that's people with any disorder in the DSM. Yep. Which is a lot of people, especially when you consider things like adjustment disorder, which can apply to so many different people if they're under stress. Like, so it's it's higher, but it's also much higher for people who have a substance abuse disorder than people who have a mental illness. Right. Um, persons with schizophrenia are undoubtedly at increased risk of becoming victims of violence in the community setting with a victim 14 times more likely to be a victim of a crime than a perpetrator of a time crime mm -hmm. 14 times yep 
way more likely to be victims. Um, but studies really only focus on perpetrating the violence, not being a victim. There aren't really a lot of studies that are on the victimization rates of people with schizophrenia. It's only like, are they violent? Not what's happening to them. Right. Um, which skews the public view of it, yes. because I think ultimately if you keep hearing, oh, this study shows this many people of sch with schizophrenia have violence, you're going to think, oh, they must be super violent or we wouldn't be studying it. So it's this skew yeah. in research. Um, but there's many contributing factors in evaluating a patient for risk of becoming violent, including personality traits, history of violent acts, paranoid beliefs, the content of the hallucinations, <laughs> substance abuse, impulsivity, suicidal acts, agitation, excitement, social circumstances, age, and sex. So there's so many different factors that go into it that it's really hard to tell. Um, in one study about violent behaviors, they were looking at the rate of people who did engage in a violent behavior in the study. <laughs> so when they... The matched control, so a matched control means that they found people with similar factors, age, sex, environmental things, as the control group for the people with schizophrenia. So in the control group, 5.1% had committed violent acts. 8.5% okay. of people with schizophrenia without substance abuse disorder had committed violent acts. So like slightly higher than the control in that study. 27.6% mm -hmm. of people with schizophrenia and a substance abuse disorder had engaged in a violent act. That's significant. Um, so I think substance abuse, again, it lowers our inhibitions. Yep. It does a lot of things to our bodies and that seems to be a much bigger contributing factor towards acts of violence yes. than schizophrenia itself. Um, and the thing is, aggressive behavior can be a symptom, but that doesn't mean killing and yeah. i think we jump immediately from that like a lot of times it could be like punching a wall yeah. head banging head banging is a big one for a lot of people who are in intensive treatment for any mental illness yeah. that seems to be like a pretty popular like head banging throwing stuff pushing someone like or yelling as an yelling like especially if you're like, having like a negative hallucination and you feel like somebody's coming at you, like you might yell at them and that may be considered mm -hmm. aggressive. Right. And so that's where it gets hard with like aggressive behavior absolutely does not mean that that person is going to perpetrate a crime, is going to harm others. They may hit a wall. Um, the wall will be fine. They might hurt their hand, yeah. but like we can treat that. It's I think that stuff is a lot more common than what we think of. Um, exactly. And like I said in the Slender Man episode, it is so exceedingly rare that that could have happened. Yeah. Like, well, and that even like is the, the idea of like command hallucinations being like, do this. Like, that's so rare. Super rare. I think a lot. One of the more common ones from what I've read is like narrating what you're doing. Yep. Big one. Like, oh, you're grabbing the ham. You are grabbing bread. Like, things like that, where it's not necessarily, like, go kill this person. It's like, oh, you're taking a math test. What's this? What's this? Like, it's a lot different. It can't just be noises. A lot of times, like, hearing someone say your name. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, like, go kill your mother while she sleeps. Right. It, some people do get command hallucinations. They're pretty rare, though. Mm -hmm. um, and also, 
there are newer antipsychotic medications that have actually been shown to reduce the aggressive behavior component. Awesome. So that part is getting more treatable than it used to be. Because uh, some of the older antipsychotics are scary. Word. Have a lot of side effects. Very difficult medications uh, to go through. But now... I would like to, I will share the first success story, okay. if that's all right with you, Totes Lauren. the goats. I love a success story. I do love it. So, we're calling <coughs> these success stories. These are people from, uh, people with schizophrenia who are doing all right. So, this first one, let me find her name. Um, because she, her name is Bethany Yeiser. And Bethany is the president of an organization called CureSZ. Website is CureSZ.org. And so SZ is short for schizophrenia. And she not only is the president of this organization, but she has schizophrenia. So, this is her story. I found it on Psychology Today. Found her. Actually got the opportunity. Uh, she emailed me back. She seems like a very nice person. And she wanted to tune in. So, hello, Bethany. Thank you for hello, listening. I hope you, I hope you are enjoying this episode. And if we got something wrong, please feel free to correct us and send us updated research. Um, so, since she wrote it, I'm just going to... So, basically, she said, before I was diagnosed, I used to think that developing schizophrenia was one of the worst things that could happen to a person. I did not know it's a brain disease similar to stroke and Parkinson's oh disease. A lot of people do recover. Um, I did kind of get the comparison from her and from looking through her website. So, thanks, girl. Appreciate it. Um, so, my journey from treatment-resistant schizophrenia to full recovery was not easy. Initially, I suffered from severe symptoms that left me unable to work or experience the fullness of life. Over the span of 12 months, I tried five different medications, all of which had severe side effects and little benefit. But after a year, I finally found an effective medication and my symptoms began to abate. These symptoms included hearing voices and seeing things that were not real. Thanks to medications, these were almost entirely eliminated after six months. Wow. With effective treatment, I was finally able to resume a meaningful professional and social life. I regained my ability to play the violin and returned to college. Awesome. Two years later, I completed my bachelor's degree in molecular biology from the University of Cincinnati and graduated with honors. Get it, girl? Yeah. Recently, I began to use the term schizophrenia survivor because this is how I feel about myself. Like individuals with other permanent conditions, including diabetes, high blood pressure, and arthritis, I will always have schizophrenia, but with effective treatment, I have reclaimed my life. In an effort to broaden my understanding of what other people with schizophrenia experience and to better understand myself, I established an online group of schizophrenia survivors in 2017. These are people who are around the country with schizophrenia who live productive and meaningful lives. Every survivor who shares their story takes medication and probably always will. Mm -hmm. But with treatment, their symptoms are cured or nearly so. We work, we volunteer, we explore hobbies, we enjoy strong relationships with friends and family. Our hope has been realized. It has been suggested to me that success stories like mine are exceptionally rare and should be ignored in order to avoid sparking false hope in struggling individuals. 
But when I stand in solidarity with other schizophrenia survivors, it's clear that we cannot all be the exception to the rule. Each of our stories is different, but they are all stories of hope. Oh, I love that. Um, right. And her website, I mean, her organization is really great. Um, it's the Cure SE Foundation. Um, so they have information on schizophrenia on their website. They have a treatment checklist for new patients. They have 26 people who have shared their story on their website. Um, so you can kind of look through. And a lot of them, um, if you're a person who is struggling, um, who has schizophrenia or has a family member with schizophrenia, her group of schizophrenia survivors, like I read through the stories, there's a lot of hope there. And there's also a lot of um, people who have put out their contact information and have emails set up specifically to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. um, so they have all of the stories and they also have um, something called the Cures Friends. It's a mentoring program for schizophrenia caregivers to support other schizophrenia caregivers. So if you have a family member with schizophrenia and you're struggling, please uh, check them out. It's curesz.org. And they, they have a lot of good stuff on their website. And they're also trying to reduce the stigma of schizophrenia and possibly even change the name of schizophrenia to something with less stigma attached. Love that. I think that's a great idea. So they're doing great, um, and they're located in Ohio. What's up, just Ohio? Just in case anybody's wondering. The wonderful state of Ohio. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bethany. That was awesome. Um, Thanks. So I wanted to share with you guys um, an article. It's pretty short. Um, but it's about Katie Sanford. And it was put together um, by a journalist named Lauren Kroos. Um, so this was actually in Women's Health Magazine. Um, so the title of it is, I have schizoaffective disorder, a condition that causes hallucinations and paranoia. So I know obviously we've been talking about schizophrenia this whole time. Schizoaffective disorder is slightly different, but still applies. And um, we'll kind of get into that in the article kind of talking about what the difference is. So it says, in the summer of 2008, I was about to begin my senior year at a small public high school. I was one of the top students in my class, a highly competitive athlete, and a horseback rider. I also had a part-time job working at a local fair trade store. While I'd been living with depression and obsessive compulsive disorder for many years by then, in early July, my depressive symptoms reached an entirely new level. Suddenly, I couldn't feel anything. Nothing mattered to me. I lost my appetite, had so much trouble sleeping, I only slept around two hours a night, and became so apathetic and fatigued that it took a tremendous amount of effort just to get off the couch to go to work or hang out with friends. One day, um, when I was yet again glued to the couch, my mom walked into the living room, and I knew I had to ask her for help. Soon after, I started seeing a therapist and a psychiatric nurse practitioner who prescribed me medication to treat my depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Unfortunately, though, my symptoms quickly went downhill. In late July, I began hearing things, like the sound of someone snickering at me from the opposite corner of my bedroom and footsteps tapping down the hall at night. Over time, I started to hear sounds more and more frequently, including the single strum of a guitar and music coming from nowhere. 
Deep down, I knew these were symptoms I couldn't ignore or explain away, but I was so overwhelmed with therapy, doctor's visits, and trying to hold myself together that I couldn't face them. I tried to just keep taking my medication and living normally. But then there was the cat. I was sitting for a family friend and trying to decompress by watching TV with their dogs. My arm was hanging over the couch when I felt a cat sniff my hand. Without looking over, I reached out to pet her. I felt her back away, then come to sniff my hand again. And we went back and forth a couple of times like that before I remembered they didn't have a cat. While a part of me felt comforted by her presence, the other part panicked and called my doctor. Later that week, I crawled under a desk at my house to turn off a power strip, and there she was again, a fluffy gray cat with pale eyes blinking slowly at me. At my next appointment with my psychiatrist on August 5th, 2008, she started to discuss a different potential diagnosis. When my mom and I sat down with my psychiatrist to talk about it, and it's in quotes, and how, it, how to approach it and possible ways to treat it, of course we had to ask, what is it? And she said, it's looking to be schizophrenia. As my symptoms continued to develop, my doctor ultimately diagnosed me with schizoaffective disorder, a mental illness that affects around 0.3% of the population, according to NAMI. The simplest way to describe schizoaffective disorder is that it's a combination of schizophrenia and a mood disorder. The schizo side of the disorder causes symptoms like hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, and disorganized thinking and speech, while the affective comes with shifts in mood you get with bipolar disorder, or in my case, depression. So that's the difference there. Um, part of me felt relieved to know there was a legitimate reason for my experiences and that I had treatment options, but I also panicked about the future. I panicked about the stigma, what symptoms were to come, and what my life would look like from now on. After my diagnosis, I continued seeing my therapist and began taking new medication, but other symptoms began to kick in. For one, I started to make weird associations between things that weren't connected in reality. One day when I was hosing off my horse after a jumping lesson, I noticed some white stuff on her hoof. My immediate response was, oh, that's where the price tag was. Like you would peel a barcode sticker off something and it leaves sticky paper residue behind. It wasn't until I was in the car on the way home that I realized that made no sense. It was just white paint from the jump we nicked. Mm -hmm. I also had more visual hallucinations. I saw people peering into my bedroom windows and around doors. I began hearing the footsteps every night. One day at the small fair trade store where I worked, I was cleaning shelves and these little fluffy alpaca figurines started talking to me, or so I thought, and it felt as if they were my friends because they were so comforting to me. Sorry, my pig's screaming. Um, because they were- <laughs> The pigs have feelings. They do. As always. Because they were so comforting to me, I bought one and would carry it around with me in my pocket as kind of a safety blanket as everything around me was spinning out of control. Well, that's- I can see how that would be comforting. While the delusions and hallucinations were impossible to ignore, I also had a hard time thinking clearly and focusing on schoolwork. Academics had always come easily to me, but my senior year I went from getting A pluses with very little effort to grinding out Bs after several hours and days of struggle. When I sat down to work on an essay which usually flowed right out flowed right flowed right now, I felt like I couldn't control my thoughts. They flew around my head if someone had thrown a deck of cards in the air, and I was fumbling just to catch hold of just one. Other times my thoughts would slowly shift, like the squares from a Rubik's Cube. 
Sometimes it was as if I was thinking of everything all at once. That year I had to drop my AP Calculus course because no matter what I did, flashcards, study groups, studying harder, I couldn't memorize all the formulas I needed to know in order to get a decent grade. My downward slide in school was a huge blow to my pride and self-confidence. While I had been able to relate to friends about symptoms of depression I had growing up, now I didn't know how to explain to them that what I was hearing, seeing, feeling, or thinking. For the most part, I tried to keep my diagnosis to myself. In truth, I was so ashamed. I felt like I couldn't tell anyone, and at that point, I was afraid I wasn't going to get any better. It wasn't until after I graduated high school and went to Northwestern University in Chicago that (laughs) that I began to open up about my diagnosis. When you're living with a mental illness, having a good doctor is important, but having supportive friends is really important. When I began telling my new friends that I was living with schizoaffective disorder, I started to realize that people weren't afraid of me and didn't think poorly of me either. Many of them had no idea that someone like me could make it to college. It became fun for me to get to know someone for a while, casually drop my diagnosis into the conversation, and watch their whole thought process change. Uh, My sophomore year, I became involved with my university's chapter of Active Minds, a nonprofit organization that aims to increase mental health awareness in students, and I joined a panel to speak publicly about schizoaffective disorder. Afterwards, I was shocked by how many people came up to thank me, tell me I was brave, and that I changed their view of schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. This was my turning point. I realized that I could do more than just educate my friends and have fun breaking the stigma. I could also make a difference by sharing my story. Over the next few years, I took my mental health advocacy efforts even further. I went to become co-president of NU Active Minds, and in 2018, I connected with NAMI Chapter in Chicago, where I trained to become an advocate and crisis intervention training panelist. In February 2020, I launched my blog, Not Like the Others, where I use my story, education, and research to educate people, make others feel less others feel less alone, eradicate stigma, and most importantly, give people a better understanding of what it's like to live with schizoaffective disorder. Schizoaffective disorder has taught me that I have strength I didn't even know was possible. These days, I work as a legal assistant in a suburb outside Chicago and live with my boyfriend, a cat, and my service dog, a 136-pound five-year-old Newfoundland named Moose. A newfie. Oh, I know. This is a cute this picture. A, what a good boy. To manage my symptoms, I take several medications in the morning and at night and go to therapy once a week. I still experience disorganized thoughts and cognitive issues on a daily basis, but my hallucinations and paranoia only pop up rarely. When they do, my psychiatrist and I work on understanding why they're happening and how we can address the root cause. Brilliant. Schizoaffective disorder has taught me I have strength I didn't even know was possible. I understand that this disease is not static, it can grow and change with me, and all it takes is one life event, change in medication, or stressful situation to threaten my stability. Nothing is guaranteed when you're living with a mental illness like mine. For this reason, I'm grateful for so many things that I once took for granted, like the support of my friends and family, a job that I like, and the ability to function in everyday life. While I'm still working on it, I've also learned a lot about the power of self-acceptance. I want readers to understand that while schizoaffective disorder is a serious illness, a diagnosis is not the end of your life. There really is hope, and you can live a fulfilling life. I honestly can't imagine my life without schizoaffective disorder anymore, and I'm okay with that. It's giving me purpose to help others. 
Oh. Yeah, so... Such inspiration. Right? And she went to Northwestern. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a hard school to get into. That is a hard school to get into. But yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Katie. And, you know, as I mentioned um, in the article, she does have a blog called Not Like the Others. Um, I've also been chatting with Katie a little bit. And she very graciously um, said that she would be willing to let us interview her sometime about, you know, her disorder and, you know, just any questions that people may have. So if people do want to write in um, questions, um, Katie would be happy to answer them. So look out for that coming up. Perfect. So we can do a potential interview. That's always fun. Um, I also have another person. Um, So the person that I want to talk about, um, their name is RJ Tanner. So RJ, why do I keep saying RJ? It's RG, RG Tanner. RG, okay. RG wrote me yesterday and um, they said that I could share this. So my name is RG Tanner (laughs) and I'm a schizophrenic. I first started showing my symptoms at infancy and was later diagnosed with mental illness at the age of 12. It wasn't until my 20s that I was given the official diagnosis of schizophrenia due to the fact that doctors typically hesitate to diagnose a child with this particular condition, as we talked about, right? Um, uh, Throughout my life, I have found many... Throughout my life, I have found many ways to cope, including drawing, painting, writing, reading, and numerous crafts. I have an excellent team of doctors working with me that has been instrumental in my recovery. I also have an incredible support system, including my parents, who have always been there for me, and a husband who loves me for the person I am and not the disease I carry. What keeps me balanced is interacting with other people and knowing that I'm only as weak as my strongest hallucination, which can be kept under control with the correct medical treatment. Above all, I have hope for the future to help break the stigma attached to this disorder. (laughs) I hope by means of social media and word of mouth, we can collectively bring an end to the cruel judgment that that many people assign to schizophrenia. That hope is what keeps me going and inspires me to fight each and every day. Um, So thank you, RG. We really appreciate you um, sharing your story with us. And as you guys can see, like with RG, like they're in a healthy relationship with their husband um they have doctors they work with they're very interested in like creative crafts and you know things like that like they're living a good life um Mm -hmm. i did want to plug for rg their instagram is rg tanner 713 and rg actually also has a youtube channel under her name um where she talks about just different things related to schizophrenia what their life is like and all that jazz so be you know feel free to check that out this is a really cool person to talk to yep and and support these folks i mean these are people that deserve a platform to talk about you know what it's like with this disorder and how you know how we really really should not stigmatize this disorder Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. So speaking of stigmatizing this disorder, Lauren, can you think of any media representations of schizophrenia? Hmm. I got a 
few, but I'm wondering if you have any that, like, come to mind. Just naturally. Things you've seen read, hurting about, heard about. I feel like... Hmm. I feel like a lot of times, not to, like, shit on other podcasts, um, but... <laughs> but it's time to shit on other <laughs> podcasts. But sometimes, like, they'll talk about, like, you know, murders and kind of allude to, and this person had schizophrenia. And kind of like what we talked about before, like, one, that's really rare. So you need to enter that, like, disclaimer when describing mm-hmm. it that, like, this rarely happens. And two, like, the research that we were talking about, sometimes other things are a big contributing factor, like substance abuse. Mm-hmm. So that that's, like, my biggest one that comes to mind naturally. Right. I think one uh, that's coming to mind is not... Related to schizophrenia, but not specific, um, the amount of times that people will call murderers psychotic. Meh. Meh, right? Like, all the time, like, oh my god, he must be psychotic or something. And it's like, no, like, being psychotic is a very specific diagnostic thing for mental illness. Um, so, like, the overuse of that term. Yeah a lot. I hear that all the time in other podcasts. Not to call you out, but we're calling you out. You know who you are. Get it together. Stop saying that people are insane or psychotic. Yes. Please, please, please. Yeah. Um, also, stop describing things as crazy. That's something I have to work on. Like, responding like, 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 oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but like about things like, oh, this traffic is crazy. Like, I think we just grew up saying yeah. it so much that it's a hard one to unlearn, but it's important to work on. Because crazy just brings up stigma, and so does insane and psychotic. And it's like, well, some murderers may experience psychosis, but that's not, like, they're not psychotic because they're murderers. Right. And I hear that all the time. Um, apparently in Suicide Squad, have you seen... I have not, no. I saw it at a drive-in movie theater with my husband, and it was kind of terrible, but then Bad Moms was after it, and we thought Bad Moms was actually pretty funny. Awesome. So, good, you know, good time. Um, But, like, some TV just tropes on funny schizophrenia. So, Harley Quinn, uh, who I absolutely love but hate in that movie. No offense, Margot Robbie. It's not your fault. It was a poorly written film, and you ruined the character. Entirely, but I don't think that was you. Um, Margot Robbie, if you're listening. (laughs) Margot Robbie obviously listens to this podcast. Please go back to the Batman animated series and learn more about Harley Quinn. I just really like Harley Quinn. Anyways, in that shitty, shitty movie, um, she makes a joke about the voices in her head telling her to kill people, only later saying, just kidding, they didn't really say that. Ew. Um, playing it for jokes there, hearing voices, again, hallucinations, not funny. I mean, I guess if they're telling jokes, they could be funny. But it, the experience isn't funny, shouldn't be played for a joke. Um, and then again, this is a big one that happens all the time. In Me, Myself, and Irene, which oh, I Jesus. saw when I was a kid, 
Jim Carrey's character is diagnosed with, quote, advanced delusionary schizophrenia with involuntary narcissistic rage. What? Not a real diagnosis. No. Not real, but that's what they say in the movie. Uh, but he really had multiple personalities. Yes. And one of them had an anger problem. Jeez Louise, I can't. Uh, <laughs> problematic from start to finish because one mislabeling schizophrenia as multiple personalities to making multiple personalities a joke when it's a very serious disorder again can be funny if the person is being funny right but it's not funny in and of itself so it shouldn't really be played for laughs um but again that whole connection with multiple personalities and schizophrenia that really pops up um and then, yeah, this is actually interesting when NAMI did a, two a survey in 2008 and found that 64% of the population is unable to recognize the symptoms of schizophrenia and simply believe that people with the disorder have split or multiple personalities. 64%, guys. No, it's not. And I think that... I mean, obviously, it wasn't a ton of, like, media stuff. Like, I was having a hard time finding specifics, which is annoying, because I know I've seen it so many times, yeah. and I just could not think of it. But there is a ton of mislabeling multiple personalities as schizophrenia, and really, uh, just stigmatizing the concept of having schizophrenia, hallucinations, delusions, or multiple personalities. Right. Yeah, I mean, the key with this, and maybe just to kind of, like, broadly talk about, like, psychosis, because I know that it affects, you know, more people than just people with schizophrenia, um, with psychosis, like, us making fun or making it, like, scary isn't fair to them, because, like, can you imagine being in that experience where, like, you're not able to distinguish, like, what's real or not? and just really struggling like i feel like we have to embrace people with empathy when they're going through psychosis otherwise it doesn't get better absolutely we can't just be judgmental and also like people with psychosis are people yep they're people first that's why people first language is so important because like you're a person first yes first and foremost they're all people they have a different experience than people without psychosis, but they're still people and deserve to be treated and respected thusly. Yep. Agreed. I concur. Good. It'd be really awkward if you didn't. Yeah, like, I'm they're so not sorry. people, Megan. Like, <laughs> so sorry. I disagree. Like, Lauren, you are like, in the, the wrong profession. Like, you need to just, like, don't let the school you teach at hear you say that because they may have problems. My God, can you imagine? Yeah. So, any thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I, I just, uh, I really appreciate the folks who wrote in um, and let us mm -hmm. share their success stories. Um, if you guys, again, have questions about um, schizophrenia, definitely send them to us because we can include them on a future podcast where we um ask somebody with schizophrenia to answer them yeah absolutely send us your questions 
Sarah were talking to you because you may Sarah. be more likely to actually do it. What questions do you have, Sarah? Um, so yeah, thanks for listening, Lauren. Do you have any good shit? Um, yeah. Let me think. We spend so much time preparing the research part and so little time preparing everything. I have something. Do you want to go first? I saved. I will go first. Okay. If you'd like me to. I just need to find my screenshot. Key. What did it do? Okay. Sorry, I updated my phone this week, so I'm like, everything's different, and I'm trying to find where I put things. Groovy. Groovy, groovy. Okay, I can't find it, so I can't tell you where or when this happened, oh. but it made me laugh. I saw this on a Facebook page, um, but there's a bakery out there somewhere in the United States, which is a very large ground <laughs> to cover, uh, but it is somewhere that has started selling a product called Cake Scraps in a Sad Box. What? because so when they make a cake and then they shape it they have to like cut parts of the cake out uh-huh. so bakeries end up with lots of cake scraps and the story behind this goes is that one day a worker at the bakery uh was was having a rough day we don't know what happened they didn't specify just so they had a bad day so she went to work and immediately uh, grabbed a bunch of cake scraps and some buttercream and sat in a box and ate cake scraps. Word. Uh, which, like, valid coping yes. mechanism. Yep. So uh, apparently they started joking at the bakery that that was the sad box, and if you were sad, you could go take a break and sit in the sad box. <laughs> uh, so they're now selling their cake scraps with, like, frosting in it and other, like, good <laughs> treats. In a box, and they're just calling it cake scraps in a sad box. And it made me laugh really hard. I thought it was funny. So, again, it's a bakery somewhere in the United States. I have no idea where, and I couldn't find the screenshot. But somebody's doing this, and it's funny. And if by chance, girl who... They said it was a girl. Girl who sat in the box eating cake scraps and started this. If you're a listener... Write in. Please tell us more. Right in. Say hey. We're very curious. I love it. It was just really funny. I was like, all right, love it. Great. Oh, that that makes me so happy. Um, right? I, I think my good shit is just that it's been, like, like more fall weather lately. Mm. So, naturally, I'm in my prime. Um, and over the weekend, we were able to have our first bonfire in our backyard. So that made me very happy. That's so nice. S'mores, Um, Megan. S'mores. S'mores. Oh, I have another good thing. What? So, uh, well, two, number one, a little kid was talking to me in the grocery store yesterday about marshmallows, and they were, like, clutching onto this bag of marshmallows. I was like, what are you going to do with the marshmallows? And they're like, I'm going to light them on fire. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, Yes wonderful and then she was explaining the concept of roasting a marshmallow to me which is fun this kid was like three it was just a random kid in the grocery store that that was talking to me while i was packing my stuff up um but my favorite show of all time schitt's creek just had a historic emmy run they won all four emmys for acting so they swept the category 
they totally deserved it if you've never watched it watch it consider it it's really good if you watched the first episode and were like this sucks just power through pilots are always garbage i know the first season gets a bit rocky but i promise you it's worth it in the end i love terrible people on a journey about love and acceptance and how it transforms you so they have to start out as terrible i know they're annoying but it gets better i love it i love that show so So. much Hello, cast of Schitt's Creek, who obviously listens to this. Oh my god, I would, I would ball my eyes cry. out. Like, <laughs> Eugene Luffy. I know, well, because we had a Schitt's Creek moment at the wedding. Mm-hmm. How much have you watched? I've watched, Are you... like, everything that's available on Netflix. Okay, the last season is so good. I think it's coming to Netflix soon, so you should be able to catch Yay. up. Um, but yeah, we had a simply the best moment on the dance floor. That was magical. Yes, it was. For us, at least. I don't think most people got what was happening. And some people thought it was choreographed, which it was not. That was from the soul. I love that. But it's such a good show. And I'm just happy that a show that deserved a big win got a big win. Me too. So... All right, guys. Well, thank you for getting spooky with us. Feel free to follow us on Facebook. We're at Spooky Psychology St. Charles on Facebook. Um, We have Instagram. My individual Instagram is Lauren underscore Malika LMFT. And Megan's is? Megan Baker LCSW. So follow us there. Write in. If you want to become a patron, visit our Patreon page. Um, yeah, if you, that helps us a lot. It does. If you got a dollar a month that you're not using, that you feel like uh, giving to us to help us support the podcast, we'd appreciate it. Uh, money goes towards uh, covering the cost to host this podcast and maybe one day better recording equipment. Exactly. Or possibly like so, a little uh, assistant to like help us. Because um, yeah, if you if you love this content and you want to get more of it, that is the quickest way to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Paying us is the only way you're going to get more than two podcasts a month. Let's just make that very clear. We do need some support for that. But we do appreciate all of our patrons and obviously completely understand that the world is undergoing a difficult time yeah. right now. Not everybody has extra money to spend on podcasts so we get it but if you are willing and able we would appreciate your dollar yes we would we love you all All thanks for visiting spooky peeps thanks Bye. bye